Hello and welcome to the Red Nets, the official podcast of Empire of the Cop. It's been an exciting transfer window, to say the least. More exciting, I think, many of us really anticipated for Liverpool. Uh, but joining me here today to dissect that, we've got Steve Carson, Peter Kenny Jones, and Rick Elliott, and I'll be your host, Farrell Keeling. Well, I mean, we're just going to start off with the positive news first, which of course is Luis Diaz's signing. He signed to 37.5 million with 12.5 million in add-ons agreed for FC Porto. Um, all in all, I think, Steve, we're just not, I mean, we weren't expecting to see any signing, let alone a signing of that sort of calibre. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't expecting anyone to come in. Um, there was a few smaller names going around that, you know, I thought, oh, maybe, but it's probably going to be summer plans. And, you know, obviously based on reports that I've read, it does seem that um, Tottenham making a move this month has forced Liverpool to bring plans forward, which um, is absolutely fine for us. I mean, as fans, it just means we get a few more months with a player who we've already seen is quite exciting. I can't say I've seen a great deal of Diaz, but from what I have seen of him, seems an impressive player. Obviously, we, we've met him before in the Champions League, so seems like a bright spark of a player. And he's, he's sort of... I, in, in the previous episode, I was talking about Paolo Dybala and saying that he's sort of... We need a player, like another Jota, basically. And obviously, uh, Diaz and Dybala are different-footed, but at the end of the day, Diaz can come in and he can play on the left or the right. Jota can play on the left or the right. So it's just that little bit more of flexibility up front. And, you know, Liverpool have had a world-class strike force now for a, a good number of years. And Jürgen Klopp's just added to it again like he did with Jota. And I'm over the moon, to be honest with you. You know, it's always exciting to get these new players. And I'm looking forward to see how he does now for the rest of the season. It, it, it's really interesting that you mentioned Diego Jota because it, uh, the common perception seems to be that he's had um, a sort of transformation, sort of impact on the squad so to a similar uh, perhaps lesser degree than Costa Shimakas in terms of getting the best out of their sort of respective competitors for the same position um, so there's been some discussion sort of online Rick about what this means for Sadio Mane because I mean Diaz can play across the front three but does favour that sort of left flank side you know some, some have questioned whether this means it's the end of the road for Sadio Mane I'm more of the mindset it's you know it's a potential challenger it's a potential option it's of that kind of Simakaz and uh, Jota mould. I mean, we we, we did a live uh, Twitter space on the transfer deadline day, and uh, we, we, towards like you know when we were talking about this, uh, I mentioned that a lot of the conversations have been around uh, Salah and his uh, contract extension, but we we haven't really heard a lot about Mane's contract extension, and uh, this 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 strikes me as a bit of a deal where. We've essentially got Diaz on six months to to sort of bed in, get to know the system, get to know the defensive side of things, because um, uh, he's probably from the from an attacking point of view, he's probably ready to to slot straight in. It's just it's just that mentality of getting back when needed and all that kind of stuff. So, in terms of um, you know, I, I I see this as more like a we're we're getting him ready to take over from Mane whenever that may be. Now, I'm not just saying that like we're going to get rid of him, uh, Mane, in the summer, but when you think about it, that's probably the peak time to be selling him if we are going to sell him without extending his contract. So, you know, for me, I, I'm not saying for definite that this is... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, pussyfoot around it and just say, like, it's, it's not the end of the road for Sadio Mane, but if it is, then, you know, it's, it's the optimal sort of solution where we... Because Klopp, you know... 
Fabinho, Robertson. He loves to take these players and just give them a bit of bedding in time. And this could be that bedding in time for, for Diaz before it's like, okay, summer, you know, get start of the new season, we're ready to go. And we've sold Mane and it's not the end of the world because we've had this sort of period where he can, you know, be replaced effectively. No, it, I mean, I think I have a similar sort of mindset. I think, you know, it, it makes sense for the club to, to, to be forward planning with these kind of signings. Obviously, Diogo Jota is a long-term signing, certainly when he was brought from Wolves. Um, so we would expect, you know, one, one day that is sadly going to be the case uh, for Mo Salah, hopefully not someday soon. You know, we, I think the expectation is it's the kind of player that can go on for quite a while, you know, into his 30s. Um, but, I mean, Pete, I think what, what was initially sort of attracted um, sort of every Liverpool fan to this particular signing is that, you know, I think Rick mentioned there about, you know, certain fundamentals that need to be sorted out in terms of, you know, obviously being able to track back uh, from the forward line and contribute to the defensive output. Um, but already he's got a number of characteristics that are quite well suited to a Jurgen Klopp team. You know, he's, he's a superb sort of ball carrier, can take on a man, you know, likes to likes to cut in and have a shot um, and, and has fantastic numbers for, for pressures in the final third and winning the ball back in the final third, which is absolutely, you know, a key thing that's expected of a Liverpool forward, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, of course. And I think, you know, with the only issue might be is that I think yeah, and Klopp does really value his, his pre-seasons, doesn't he? I think obviously with last year when we had the the centre back crisis and he never said it too much, but you know, he always goes on about how important that pre-season is and they basically run them ragged to make them fit enough to go and play a whole season ahead of them. And I think, you know, that could be a big thing that why we, we won't see him straight away. You know, he might get, if he's apparently coming straight back and he might get a few minutes against Cardiff, but I don't think he'll be starting a game in the Prem straight away, definitely, when we've got the likes of, as you know, Salah, Mane, Firmino and Jota. It might even be a fact that he, he plays while Mane or Salah get a bit of rest in from half and then maybe he was missing for a bit. But I think, That'd be the only reason he's not in there. I'm gonna, Klopp said when he signed him, you don't sign someone in in January that you wouldn't have signed in the summer anyway. So I think you know it's it's definitely something that he values and a, a reason why he wouldn't sign someone in January because you you've got to get them to hit the floor running, which probably isn't what he wants them to do. He wants them to have that time to be bedded in, you know, just as a member of you know making a few mates as well as get, getting fit enough to play. So I think. On paper, it looked perfect, and I think we don't really know what the difference would be between the few weeks of of training or and just going straight in now. But Klopp will know, and that's what they're going to be teaching them. And he's he's going to have a big few weeks, and then don't forget he's the only Colombian in the squad. Others are a few South Americans, and of course Jota played in Portugal as well. But he's you know he's come from the Portuguese league. He's Colombian. He won't he won't have any best mates in that squad yet, so it's going to take him a while to bed in. So. Hopefully he just picks up a few minutes and maybe we give it a month, give it a couple of months and the the end of the season, maybe we see him coming in, hit the ground running a bit later on and then start next year, he's, he's fully integrated in the squad. Which would be the perfect time for us, you know, especially if we're sort of still there or thereabouts in the title race in Manchester City. I mean, you, you've rightly pointed out that bedding in period and it's a critical for a, um, for a, for a little player under Klopp um, and certainly indicates to a certain degree just how prized um, he was by the recruitment team and Klopp that they were willing to sort of go. You know what we need to we need to make a move on this, regardless of um, to, you know to, to what extent we can sort of make the most out of him this season. Um, but as I say, you know, fingers crossed, he, he gets acclimatised quickly. Um, he certainly has all the makings of a Klopp player. So you'd have to think that would go um, his way for this season. But 
that's enough from us. You've heard us young whippersnappers prattle on uh, for, about Luis Diaz, and I think it's time to get a, an expert opinion in. And who better than Portuguese football expert, Aaron Barton? Here's what he had to say. Hi, Aaron. Pleasure to have you here on the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad yourself. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. We're quite excited um, about Louis Diaz, I have to say. I mean, none of us really expected um, Liverpool to, to make a move in this window. We tend to quite rarely move in the winter window um, for, for obvious reasons. But uh, the signings were made, 37.5 million. Um, I mean, could you share a bit of insight just about the kind of player we're going to be getting here? Uh, good question. Good question. I think it's a player that Liverpool fans can be very, very excited about seeing. Uh, he's, well, he was the best player in the Portuguese league without doubt, um, head and shoulders above anyone else in the league, to be honest. Uh, a player that doesn't come around very often and when they usually do, they don't stay in Portugal very long. So I think, the, you know, the expectation was that he'd stay until the summer, but on the other hand, as I say, players like that, they uh, they don't last very long before they go to sort of a top, not even a top five league, top two, top three league, and to at least to an elite club. And um, yeah, very exciting, very aggressive, uh, tenacious, good without the ball in terms of undersize. You can see Saudi's had to become quite defensively disciplined, which which will uh, benefit him in the long run playing under Jurgen Klopp. Someone who's got a great eye for goal. He's second top scorer in the Premier League this season, which is a complete explosion, to be honest, for someone who hasn't put up great goal-scoring numbers in recent seasons. It seems that everything's sort of came together for him in the last maybe 12, 18 months. Was was uh, top scorer at the Copa America joint with uh, Lionel Messi, and then he's came into the Premier League and just carried on that form. And... Um, as I say, yeah, it's a player who's ready. He's ready for this move. He's 25. I don't think there'll be as much of an adaptation period as people would expect signing a player from the Portuguese league. I know some people have uh, quite sceptical when you're signing a player that isn't Premier League proven, but he's, I don't think there's any worries about Luis Diaz, to be honest. He's the type of player who will uh, thrive in the Premier League, in my opinion. I mean, just a, just a quick point about his sort of recent um, form. I mean, I mean, the numbers are absolutely tremendous um, domestically and internationally. Um, but this is the common consensus around him seems to be that he's he's gone up another level um, quite significantly. So uh, this season compared yeah. to the last, um, do you sort of see a similar trajectory um, for the, for the next season? You know, effectively, what will be his first full season in the Premier League? Uh, yeah. So to be honest, he's he was. Playing as a bit part player at, at Porto initially, initially. So even though he's twenty five, he still he was quite late coming into you know because only before before that he was playing in Colombia. Now, whenever he was coming in, he was making a, a good impact and he was getting goals and he was getting assists, but he just wasn't playing consistently enough to to be putting up you know these kind of numbers until he got to the point where Sergio Conceição really couldn't afford to leave him out. He'd established himself as as Porto's best player since he's been in the team uh, playing week in week out it's no surprise he's getting more goals getting more assists his, his end product is something that's really improved in terms of even the locations on the pitch where he's taking shots shots, and where he's having chances is he's trying to come inside more rather than get to the byline and provide the cross he's loves cutting inside on that right foot and just firing shots towards goal, uh, playing passes, trying to play between the lines. Not 
really as much as he at the beginning of his career he was more he could go past the player and then perhaps when it was the the time to play a pass or put a cross in he'd maybe go back and do that player again quite quite a skillful player quite a you know he's got that sort of street footballer about him he's just being polished he's just being more polished and under Concesau if you're not doing the right things if you're not doing the right things for the team then you know you're taken out of the team I mean you've only got to look his own son can't start a game for them and he's as talented as uh, he's Francisco Concesau is you know ridiculous he's a young winger um, brilliant ball control but until his end product improves and until defensively he can get to grips with that side of the game, he won't be part of the team. So it shows you what kind of manager Constantin is. Uh, but I think it's all helped Luis Diaz and, and he's got to this point now where he's fine. He, he is now ready. He is now ready to go and play for the Liverpool and play in the Premier League. And he's got Champions League experience uh, with, with Porto as well. He's got international experience. And um, yeah, as I say, he's had a, a real good point in his career now. Uh, obviously, we've yeah. seen people like uh, Hamas Rodriguez and Hulk and Falcao come from Porto and going obviously across different teams and whatever. Obviously, he's not directly similar to any of them, but do you think he can achieve more or similar levels to what to what they've done and coming out of Porto? And like, what type of how good is Porto as a club to you know be a stepping stone maybe onto like the bigger teams in Europe? Yeah, I think he's just the latest in a in a long line. You, as you say, you've just named there two two uh, two of the, well, all three players are, are, are Colombian: James Rodriguez, Adamel Falcao, and and now Luis Diaz. So he's sort of like the, the comparisons are there. Although I should say they're not directly, uh, you know, they're, they're not they're not similar in terms of the way that they play. But he's just the latest in players who are ready who are ready to go. Um, and you say like you look now. He was more ready to go and play for like a Liverpool, say that someone like someone recently who's left Porto, say like Ruben Neves, who's now at Wolves. He left when he was a lot younger. Uh, he weren't at sort of the top of his game at that point. Now he's, you know, an absolute fantastic player, but he was more just dubbed as like a, a wonder kid. But in terms of what he'd actually done in the game, whereas someone like Luis Diaz, he is at that same level as say a Falcao, someone who's you know, that season before Falcao left, he was absolutely ridiculous and he, he proved basically like he'd done as much as he could with, with Porto. He won the Europa League, but his ambition was clearly then, I want to be at a, a club who are playing in the in the Champions League consistently and getting to the knockout rounds. Uh, the same thing with James Rodriguez as well, who, who went on to, obviously went on to, to then play for the likes of Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. So for him, for Luis Diaz, he's got these sort of players that have also came through the club. Not to put pressure on himself, but he's definitely, as I say, I keep going back to it, he's definitely ready. And in terms of what he can achieve in the game, there's no there's no ceiling for him, to be honest. It just it depends on how quickly he gets to grips with sort of the pressing system on the clock. I think that's something that you see sometimes players will come and they might take a couple of weeks, even a couple of months to get fully acclimatised to the Jürgen Klopp system. But I don't think that's unique to Liverpool either. I think you look at players who join Manchester City, you know, to obviously take it back to sort of Portuguese players, Portugal-based players. Bernardo Silva didn't really do anything for the first year. Joao Cancelo wasn't trusted by Pep for the first year and a bit. And now you're looking at, you know, two of the best players in the world. So, I think it's I think it's normal. I think when you're playing for such a, a high quality manager like Jurgen Klopp, he's going to want to want his players to play a specific way, to be able to carry out specific tasks, do different roles. 
Uh, and as I say, I do think of the players that have left the Portuguese league, he's very, very ready, I think. Uh, I mean, obviously it'll backfire if he if he doesn't start too well. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite bold in that claim that I do think he he, he was ready for the Premier League move. Okay. Yeah, well, I'll go next. Um, yeah, I've watched a few clips of Diaz. I didn't really know him all that well beforehand. Obviously seen him in the Champions League. Knew of him, but didn't really physically watch him all that much. Um, one thing I have noticed in a few of these little uh, clips that I've seen is he likes to, um, as far as I can tell, anyway, um, he likes to bust up other mid- like midfielders and then drag the ball 20 yards up the pitch and then pass to a teammate, look for an opportunity to shoot. Sometimes Liverpool have lacked that over the last year where we've needed a player to grab the game by the scruff of the neck and go and do something. Adam, would you say that's a fair reflection of Diaz? Yeah, yeah. And I think that comes from his tenacity, to be honest, because he, I think as well with a player like that, they can sometimes get frustrated. Uh, well, especially he won't, he won't really face this problem as much at Liverpool, but you see sometimes players, they're frustrated that they are so much better than the, the, the players that they're playing with. And you can see that sort of, almost like the game's a little bit too easy for them. And if opponents are sort of, uh, sorry, if they're the, their fellow teammates, they'll almost come back and grab the ball and say, right, let me take charge. Let me be the man. I think that's important that he's got, he's got to keep that. Although he is now coming into the side with with the likes of Salah and Mane and Diogo Jota and all these big, you know, world-class names, you've got amazing creativity from full back positions as well with with Robertson and Sens. Diaz needs to keep that like arrogance and swagger, I think. And you know, can I go, can I drop into central midfield and pick it up pick it up off, you know, a Henderson or someone and say, right, I might be, you know. A little bit further back, I'm not in position, but look, I've got, I've got a, I've got a left back there, and Robert who's going, who can overlap. That'll allow me to drag the ball, come right inside, let me drive towards that 18 yard box, and then kind of pop off a pass to, to maybe Salad on the other side or, or Jota, whoever's you know sort of playing. So I think him playing with better quality fullbacks, I think will massively help him as well. That's something that Porto have lacked in in recent years. You know, over the last couple of years, they've had some good ones, but they sold them all off. So. Recently, he's been playing with like um, players who aren't exactly household names. I think having someone like you know Robertson behind him, and Diaz has played on the right hand side as well. So it's not like he's just completely stuck in that position. He can play as one of a narrow front front three. He can play as a wide midfielder. He can come a little bit more central. Uh, and as I say, he's played on the right as well. So better, I think, better teammates around them. Obviously, the training will go up a level. Uh, in terms of the difficulty will go up a level but also I think with a player like Diaz who is, seems quite resilient him playing with better players should only improve him as well You've mentioned about how he's sort of um, you know he's, he's got this tenacity and you know he, he's, he seems like he's finally reaching that form of being the, the, almost the finished product is there any shortcomings to his games that we should be sort of like prepared to sort of sit through at least until it's sort of eased out um, to be honest, I think the old, well, the, the big shortcoming would have been before he'd polished off the fact that you know before he'd became such a polished um, goal scorer in front of goal. I think he he had a bit of a penchant for taking on speculative efforts when perhaps moving closer to the goal or finding a pass. That was a bit of a, an area of concern, and then he seems to have he seems to have managed that quite well. So as I say, if you'd have signed him eighteen months ago, I'd have, I'd have said yeah, and I'd have probably said. Um, 
in terms of yeah, just making sure that he's he's always in the game. He's always he doesn't you know sort of drift off. But again, I don't know whether it with rising to the challenge of of uh, playing with a a Porto side that last season didn't win the league and frustrating for him. He felt like he'd switched on even more. He was trying to do more. He was trying to be actively sort of engaged in the game. So I wouldn't say that would be a big problem, but the, the big one, I think the big one isn't so much a personal uh, trait of his, will just be how he how quickly he gets up to speed uh, on the clock. But as I say, it's not like he's coming from what you find sometimes. I say, even if you go back 10 years, if you go back to an era of complete dominance for Porto where they were used to having say 65-70% of possession you look at the side say like the Andre Villas-Boas Porto team very very comfortable on the ball defensively didn't have to think too much because they were so much better than the opponents uh, whereas under Sergio Conceição obviously Porto was still one of the best teams in the league but he does have them doing that sort of defensive side as well so I've seen quite a bit of sort of like scepticism towards that online but I, I think that'll be the only area that, that you'd have to look out for but I think if you sign any player and they have to come into this sort of pressing system it's never going to be you know an instant fit uh, unless you you know Diogo Jota who seems to just completely hit the ground running um, but um, yeah uh, you know hoping for, for Luis Diaz's sake as well he's he's able to just kick on and uh, and do well because he does deserve it he does deserve the move and, and obviously Slight, little bit disappointed that it that it didn't happen in the summer with obviously such a big season ahead now for for Porto. But then at the same time, Liverpool have, have really bailed them out with this immediate eight million uh, euro upfront payments, which has helped them clear the debts and and um, they would have you know potentially been banned from Europe for three years. So I suppose you've got to look at it from the financial side of uh, things as well. So yeah, a good deal all round, I think. I mean, Aaron, you've spoken about his high ceiling and certainly from the commentary and the clips we've been exposed to, it seems like we're getting an absolute live wire of a player. Um, but it, when sort of comparing him to the likes of, say, Sadio Mane and, and Mo Salah, you know, how how far off that level is he? Like, is it is it going to be the case of um, a season, two seasons longer before we, he can begin replicating uh, that kind of uh, level? It, to be honest, I think with uh, he's not going to come in and completely take Sadio Mane's position straight away. And I I don't know enough about Liverpool to know what's happening with Mane's contractual situation. I don't know whether that's been resolved. It, isn't that? Is he? How long has he got left on us? Until twenty twenty three. I think he's twenty twenty three. Next in line for contract negotiations, theoretically. Yeah, because I saw a bit of talk online. I think when the when the deal was being rumored about. You know, is it Sadio Mane sort of like for like replacements? And and but I, to be honest, I see him going in and with Liverpool competing in the Champions League, in the Premier League, in the FA Cup, competing on you know sort of those fronts. There'll be minutes there for him, definitely. He's not going to come in and play every single game, but it's in the same way that when you know when Liverpool first signed Diogo Jota, it was he's not going to come in and completely take Roberto Firmino's position and then sort of little by little Jota was playing more and more and more and and before you know it now you're thinking well we've got two really quality options and I think it's just the same thing with, with Mane and Diaz as well it's another player who can come in it's another body in a squad who can actually if he needs to come off the bench and give give Liverpool something it doesn't have to be right let's get Sadio Mane out the door because 
as I say, from a neutral, I'm not a Liverpoolian, but from from the outside looking in, I think a big concern that, especially my mates who support Liverpool, their biggest complaints have always been, yeah, the front three is great, but the depth outside of it isn't. So when Man City get an injury or even, you know, a Chelsea get an injury and whoever it may be, they're able to cope with it. When Liverpool were calling on players that maybe they didn't think were were quite at that level, signings like Diogo Jota, Luis Diaz, bring that quality and as you say Liverpool don't particularly like spending money in, in in January but I mean you've only got to see the reaction of the, the people in Portugal the, whether it be the media or whether it be Porto supporters themselves it's a snip 45 million euros is an absolute snip for, for a player of this uh, quality and I'd say the other 15 million euros in add-ons is only being paid when the objectives are met albeit those objectives are reportedly very, very easy to meet. Um, so, you know, if it does end up coming to around about 60 million euros, I think as long as he can come in, make an impact. And then next season, uh, once he's fully acclimatised, can we see him start to take more and more of Sadio Mane's minutes? Definitely. I definitely, I'm not going to say, you know, he's, he'll end up being better than Mane or Salah because I just, you just football, you just don't know. He's never played in the Premier League, so I won't know. Mane, was a different, uh, was a different thing altogether because you'd saw him at Southampton, you saw this natural progression of a player, and you thought if you could just get him in to this system with better players, you could, you know finally unleash him, which is what happened. Uh, maybe a similar thing with Luis Diaz, but only time will tell. Well, Aaron, that's been absolutely superb. Thank you very much for your time. It's been lovely having you on the podcast. Uh, just before you go, um, I mean. Is there anything you'd love to share uh, to our listeners? Any exciting projects coming up? Um, <laughs> this is this is usually where I should have something lined up to plug. Uh, no, I mean just give us a, a follow on if you don't already on on Twitter at proximajonada one. We're on uh, on the website at proximajonada.com, and we've got a, a weekly podcast as well, a Portuguese football show where we discuss. Uh, whether it be transfers, players, sort of getting to know players before they end up making moves like like the one Luis Diaz has, uh, has made. So if you want to be in the know, check out the podcast. And uh, if Portuguese football is your thing, then then yeah, give us, give us a follow. That's brilliant. Thanks very much again, Aaron. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. No problem. Thanks, lads. And we're back on. Yes, it's the four of us. Did you miss us? Um, yeah, I mean, you've heard the expert opinion there of Aaron Barton on Luis. There's lots of interesting points there. And uh, I mean, it's, I don't know about you lot, but it's certainly made me more uh, excited about the kind of player um, we're hopefully going to be seeing sometime soon on the pitch. Uh, for Jurgen Klopp, as as Pete previously said, um, we'll be probably expecting a longer wait. You know, nothing immediate, um, say, against the upcoming sort of Premier League game against Leicester after, of course, the FA Cup meeting with Cardiff City. Um, but, you know, you never know. In the title race, it's a valuable, valuable addition that could potentially make a significant difference. But whilst we're on the subject of the transfer window, sadly, um, it wasn't a case of double wins uh, for Julian Ward, uh, Michael Opel's eventual replacement as sporting director. Um, the deal, of course, that we had went straight to the wire on the deadline day of Fabio Carvalho didn't sadly go through. A fee was agreed, but there was just simply not enough time left to sort out the loan arrangement, which was, of course, critical for Marco Silva's men. Uh, I mean, Rick, I'm going to go to you here. It- it felt a bit gutting and it almost felt like a lot of fans were losing sight of the fact we'd already acquired one superb signing in Luis Diaz. Uh, and then, I mean, it wasn't a player we were going to get access to anyway. The, it, this, this deal hinged on Carvalho going back to Fulham for the rest of the season. Yeah, 
but like it's it's that it's that excitement of the transfer window like we haven't had this sort of to the wire excitement since Canoplianka, and that's like almost a decade ago is it a decade ago i think 2012 that's a name for the record um, books there yeah exactly <laughs> i mean the club that he was we were signing him from uh Dnip- is it Dnipro? Yeah, uh, so, yeah, yeah. They, they they don't even exist anymore they uh they, <laughs> they uh, have ceased to exist so that just tells you everything you need to know about how long that how long it's been since uh we've had this sort of deadline day you know jim white experience and you know cuz cuz i mean we've had this uh a mentality of we get the deals done out the way as soon as possible and yeah sure we've had like oxlade chamberlain and whatnot but that's been like yeah the deal's pretty much done the day before and it's just a case of like getting him to sign the contract on the last day so it to have gone down to the wire and for it to have then fallen apart it's just like it's a it's an unknown experience to a pretty much a whole generation of Liverpool fans and I, I you know I got I got suckered into that like big time um you know I, I was on on Twitter saying like you know good morning to everyone but the EFL and Fulham FC and you know yeah some of that is a bit misplaced but at the end of the day I mean, the EFL not having deal sheets is is a, a mind-boggling when pretty much every other league has them. And, you know, then there's also the fact that it's Fulham who... You know, I, had, I had someone on Twitter that was coming at me saying, like, you know, well, the club have been nickeling and diming for the longest time. Why aren't you having a go at the club? Why are you having a go at Fulham and not, you know, not the club? And I'm like, well... I mean, to be fair, we have bent over backwards to try and get this deal <coughs> done and over the line. We've we've paid more than what we were hoping to to pay. We've given them Nico Williams on, on loan. You know, how much more do you want us to bend over backwards to try and get this deal done? And they're the ones, Fulham are the ones who have let this sort of play on to the last minute. So, you know, I'm I'm just a bit gutted overall. I I, I really wanted to see it. It happened, but you know these things happen in football. I mean, the mind-boggling thing for me is, you know, in, the, in that circumstance there on deadline day and, and leading up to deadline day, you would argue they held the upper hand, sort of really. Whereas leaving it now here in the, you know, needing a potential pre-arrangement deal, uh, which we'll get to shortly, it, it, the power sort of shifts, the momentum sort of shifts to the other clubs now. You, you know, they're facing either gambling on a tribunal fee or a European outfit coming in and under FIFA rules, snatching them away for under £500,000, which is astronomically less um, than what Liverpool would have been prepared to pay. Um, so, I mean, I mean it, it, it's not really a position I think the club would want to be in. I know there's been much made over, you know, obviously if they get promotion to the Premier League, £8 million isn't going to mean a great deal compared compared to being in, you know, the, the top, top league, arguably in Europe. But, you know, just financially, it's, it's a bit silly. But, I mean... Going on to sort of the pre-arrangement deal, uh, Pete, it, it, it's one that many many a commentator associated with Liverpool has made clear, you know, the deal's far from dead. You know, a lot of groundwork has been sort of made, you know. I mean, the important thing here is that a fee was agreed between the two parties. So theoretically, if it did get to the point of needing a tribunal, um, we, we presume that that would be, that would form the groundwork of then a potential tribunal fee. But uh, I'd imagine... 
many Liverpool fans will be hoping it doesn't need to get to that stage and then risk a European outfit to a la Barcelona, etc., coming in and swooping him. You know, how, how would you rate our chances of signing him? Well, it it sounds good from from what I've seen, but obviously you don't know who to believe or what to believe because he, he was guaranteed to walk through the door, wasn't he? And he, and he hasn't, so it's it's hard to tell. But, but I think you know if we've spoken to him, and we've spoken to Fulham, and he he was keen to sign then. I don't see us like falling off the face of the earth in the next few months. Though surely we're going to be. We're in the League Cup final. We're going to be hopefully in the top three in the Prem. We should get far in the Champions League. So I don't think much is going to happen that would put him off significantly. So I don't see why he wouldn't want to still join us. I don't know how it would work. If you know um, the fee that we've agreed to pay, can we just still pay that even if he has run out of his contract? Is that a thing you can uh, do or not? Yeah, I, don't I, know mean, I think if the contract's run out, then you know that it's not in Fulham's hands anymore. So it's yeah. basically we have until the end of his contract to pay Fulham the money, and he would have to then sign a pre uh, pre contract deal. So we'd still pay money for him to do like Fulham would still receive money if we agree it before the end of the season. Is that what would happen, yeah, or is it all just in his hands? The, I think the instant that the contract runs out with Fulham, then you know they they cease to become a party in it unless. It goes to a tribunal, and that's just a retroactive payment for services to training him, essentially. Right. Well, in that case, then we you know we we still pay the same amount of money that we were going to pay. We're still going to get him at the same time we were going to get him, and I don't see why he'd be so put off in these few months when it it didn't sound like it was us who were the ones holding things up. You know, it was you know you you hear they were asking for ten mil in the last day in the last hour. So it doesn't. It surely, if you're on Carvalho's side, you look at it and think, well, you know. I'd rather play for Liverpool than Fulham, and they obviously want me, so why wouldn't I go there? So as far as I can see, it doesn't seem like it's going to be that much of an issue, but there's no paperwork signed, so you know we've anything can happen, can't it, really? So I think it's just a case of wait and see, and, and I think if we had to pick one that went down to the last minute and fell apart between Carvalho and Diaz, we, we definitely would have picked the, you know, the youngster from Fulham that we all haven't properly seen. So... You know, it's it's not the best case scenario, but I think it obviously could have been a lot worse with another player and it could still all play out fine. So I think, you know, remain positive. Why not? And we, someone better might even come along in the meantime. We haven't signed anything, so we might be able to save ourselves money. So let's just see what happens. I mean, bizarrely, at one point, there were rumours going around. It was at £15 million they were requesting. I think obviously that was then clarified to be, you know, as, as you've rightly mentioned, the £10 million figure. Um, which was still so slightly over what we were prepared to pay, hence the middle ground reach with £8 million. Um, I mean, Steve's looking sort of how the, the current climate is. I mean, in terms of a sort of a potential best case scenario for Fulham, agreeing a sort of similar pre, you know, pre-agreement to the, to the tune of £8 million, what we effectively agreed uh, before the, the deadline came in the way, that, that's probably the best, you know, at least amongst the best case scenarios for Fulham. Yeah, I mean, from what you can read in reports and, you know, what all the journalists close to the action have been claiming, it seems like Fulham have played us and themselves, uh, to be honest with you. I don't think they've done anybody any favours. Um, there's now a little bit of uncertainty over the lad's future, which isn't going to be good for him. It's not good for, for our, our side of things, and it's not really good for their side of things either. I'm not entirely sure uh, why it all fell apart, but, I mean, Fulham weren't exactly that easy to deal with with Harvey Elliott either, so maybe there's something going on there. They're reluctant to release these players. Maybe they're hoping that they might be able to get them to agree to a new deal or something like this. But from what I can see, from what I've read and you know, I see and read what everybody else can online, 
Um, it looks like it was pretty much done. You know, the player wanted it. Liverpool wanted it. Fulham were just a little bit awkward about it. But the fact that Nico Williams is now playing for Fulham on loan <laughs> tells me that there is a sort of, you know, um, there's common ground between the two clubs, obviously. I'm not particularly worried, obviously, because there's no official situation in that we know the player's on his way already. There is that sort of risk that a Dortmund, or like you said, Barcelona could come along and pick him up, which we've seen before. But at the end of the day, if at some point he gets in a room at Jürgen Klopp, that's it. He's going to join Liverpool. There's no way. You cannot walk out of a room after speaking to Jürgen Klopp for half an hour, an hour, whatever, and then decide, you know what, I'm going to go play for Dortmund. With all due respect to Dortmund, we're talking about Jürgen Klopp. You know, you've seen what he's done to the young players at the club. You're looking at Elliot, you're looking at Gordon and sort of the opportunities they've been handed and you think to yourself, you know, that's where I want to be. If I was him, Carvalho, I, I would be, you know, and, and based on the reports, I think that's what he's thinking anyway. He wants to play for Liverpool and I think it's a matter of time. It's just a shame that it's not official and over the next few months there is going to be that constant level of anxiety for some Liverpool fans that'll be thinking, oh, what if it doesn't happen? You know, Stuff like that. They'll be thinking the worst case scenario, which is something we all do. Like Pete said, we've got Diaz over the line. That's the main thing for me. We've got a player who's going to slot into the first team. The lad for the future, you know, he seems like a really good prospect. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't work out, players like players like that come and go. We could regret it further down the line. We might not. We've got some real good gems of our own. So at the end of the day, we just concentrate on ourselves now. We enjoy the young players that we've got. We've got Diaz. And hopefully over the next few months, we get some little breadcrumbs that uh, have Carvalho joining Liverpool in the summer, which I think is what everybody wants. Fulham are just a little bit tetchy about it. One chat is all it takes from Jurgen Klopp. We hope anyway, when it comes to potential signing of Fabio Carvalho, as you rightly pointed out there, Steve, you know, a lot of the uh, chat coming from the, the club and around the journalists associated with the club seems to be largely positive. You know, as you've rightly pointed out, the player wants to go. Um, and I think that, that will be, that could prove critical down the line. Again, I think a lot of the, the comments online have been sort of, oh, his head could get turned by a Dortmund, by a Barcelona, by a by a Bayern Munich. But, you know, we've got a pretty good wild card, you know, there in Jurgen Klopp. Um, but we'll see, you know, if ultimately if the player doesn't want to go, it's he's not it's not made for Liverpool, is he? You know, we want we want players committed to the cause. Um and speaking of the cause, um, we're in obviously for all competitions again this season. We've got a final in the Carabao Cup coming on, knockout stages of the Champions League. Uh, the league title race has livened up after City dropped points against Southampton. But, you know, closer to us, we've got the fourth round of the FA Cup against Cardiff City to look forward to. Um, I, I think it's fair to say we're probably not going to see a full-strength Liverpool outfit this early in the competition, which means potentially key chances for players of the likes of Harvey Elliott, who's made a return from injury. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't you say, Pete? Yeah, well, I think, you know, we're... The fact that we had this two week break is is gonna is definitely gonna help or maybe hinder Klopp's decision. I think there were a few of them playing internationally, you know, you know, Minamino, Fabinho, Allison, Diaz, you know, they've all been playing around obviously Salad and Mane aren't back yet. So I think it could be a few of the, the British players might probably get a look in, you wouldn't be surprised if you see, you know, Hendo, Oxley Chamberlain, Robertson, Milner, all the Dubai lads <laughs> getting a game together. So I think it might it'll probably be a good blend again, probably like you know the last round was maybe even a little bit stronger than the last round, but 
with just allowing all these other lads who are coming back to have their full break because I'm, I'm sure Klopp will have given them a few more days knowing it's just it's just the FA Cup and you know everyone else has had a massive break away from the footy. You say Harvey Elliott would be the most exciting one. I think that's what the story of the the game will be of whether he starts or comes off the bench or whatever. I think the reaction he's going to get will be great. And if you forget he's still just eighteen, and you know it, it's going to be massive to have him back as one of our options. And yeah, it just looks like whenever we have a break like this, you see the injury list get shorter and you get excited, and then suddenly in the space of a week, we'll probably find out that half the lads who have come back got a knock or something. So maybe just enjoy this shorter than usual injury list and hopefully we can just get through the weekend first thing of course is a win and then get through without any injuries and then we can just go and attack the Prem and get a good run of form together before we play Chelsea in the League Cup final Absolutely you know a chance to sort of get some momentum going um, but really Steve this is going to be a game that's going to show off our depth um, really isn't it you know you look at sort of the, the talents we've got available who you know don't get a game regularly but you know, you'd expect to be in the first team set up for the future you know Tyler Morton Harvey Elliott Curtis Jones um, you've got you know what would effectively be back up now in, in Bobby Firmino it, it's it's not looking too bad is it? No not at all um, Cups really are a good opportunity the League Cup certainly has been this season to see the sort of second string players shine and a few of the youngsters as well Morton Beck uh, Gordon you know, these players have really impressed. Harvey Elliott needs no introduction. If he's able to play, uh, like we said, that's going to be the headline. Um, and hopefully he makes a headline another way as well if he does play. Uh, I'd love to see him uh, get back on the uh, first team sheet and also the score sheet. That'd be lovely. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a game for, you know, you know, Kelleher is going to be in goal. It'd be nice nice to see him back, back in net and doing what he does best. You know, he's a phenomenal goalkeeper. Love to see him pull the Liverpool shirt on as often as possible. The likes of Minamino and obviously Origi stuck around. So, you know, these kinds of players where you've got this depth and you never know. Divic Origi starts the game, could score a scorpion kick. It's it's the way he does. You know, you've not seen it for a couple of months and that's what he does. Um, we do have these exciting players in our second string. And if, if you litter in a few of the youngsters as well, which is pretty much how we've got to where we are in the League Cup, yeah, it's going to be great. I think Pete's got... Um, uh, you know, good, uh, good, good to point out there that we've got a number of lads who's you know been on holiday. You know, we're talking about like Trent and, and uh, Henderson. I think I think they are likely to be the backbone of this team. Uh, so maybe we'll see them mixed in with the youngsters more than you would see the second string like uh, Minamino and Origi. But I think it's going to be quite a bit of a smorgasbord of a Liverpool squad, if you like, a good mix of uh, of everybody. Um, but looking forward to it. It's always good to see these players who don't get the game time to come in, step up, do what they've done. Look what Ox is doing this season. It's good to see a player like him who'd been sort of relegated to pretty much obscurity at Liverpool, now doing really well and talking himself into a position where, you know, you could argue he should start our next, you know, competitive game and, you know, whatever competition that may be in. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, good mix of players. Always good to see. I mean, Steve, you brought up a few players there who've been absolutely superb when called on p- upon of late. You know, Kevin Keller is obviously that one never seems to put a foot wrong uh, when he's asked to substitute for Alison Becker. Um, Oxford Chamberlain, again, superb, uh, whilst uh, Mo Salah, Sadimane, and Naby Keita have been offered to the African Cup of Nations. Um, Rick, I suppose the question for you really is can, can you see a sort of similar situation in terms of how we approach um, this competition to the League Cup? Um, do you see it as almost being more prioritised by Jurgen Klopp or could you see a sort of similar circumstance where 
not not so much an element of disdain towards it, but you know, we, we, it's a competition we could go far in. Yeah, I mean, the the fact is, uh, we we haven't been in this position where we've been in all four cups, all four competitions in. I, I don't even want to know how long it's been. It's, it's been too long. Um, but, yeah, the, the thing is, there's got to be some compromises somewhere, and I feel like we should just, you know, keep going with this, uh, you know, youthful approach. Um, give give some rotation in there, uh, like we've been saying, you know, the likes of, you know, Ox, Kelleher, those kind of players need to, you know, be trying to, to gain some momentum, because especially because Kelleher... Um, I mean, in, there's been a few matches recently where you you would have thought that he would have played, but Allison's played instead. So you know, there's you know, there's a little bit of give and take in in there. So yeah, I I, I just I I feel like there's there's um as much as we groan every time it's being said, um, the most important match is the next one, uh. and then the one after that, and the one after that. <laughs> You know, and the, and the manager and the players, you know, some of it is bullshit. You know, some of it is bullshit, especially if you've got like a game about like against Man City that's like two games away. You know that at the back of their mind, they're, they're thinking about that game. But like, you know, but generally speaking, whenever whenever they say we're thinking about the next game, you know that they're thinking just in terms of the next game. So, yes. Playing youth players is probably and like the sort of not outcasts. I don't want to use that word, but you know what I mean. That the the sort of second string players, uh, playing those is is probably the best sort of strategy to go into the match with. Um, but you know, I, I I wouldn't say anything negative if uh we we threw in quite a few sort of main like if say Fabinho played. Or something like that. Like I, I wouldn't have any issues, just because to get into the next round and keep this four competition uh, run going is 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 paramount. I think for confidence and, and whatnot, and 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 that ultimately means that everyone gets more opportunities to shine further along. Um, because you know if if we oh, we've seen time and time again how Klopp just likes to use the same players over and over and over again. All the way through, like, even when it's like, come on, like we really need to give these lads a rest, just one game's rest. Like you know, in the last few seasons, he hasn't done that. So having that option to rotate, I think now is uh, with the FA Cup, that is the moment with this kind of caliber of of opposition. It's, yeah, that's that's the way to do it. I mean, it's been a good competition. Same for the League Cup in terms of blooding these youngsters, and I think how we approach it. You know, there's been a lot of criticism that sort of Klopp doesn't respect opponents by playing these players. But ultimately, you know, it, it's it's a superb opportunity to give them minutes, to give them a taste of first team action and see who can make that jump, you know, permanently to the first team and who who can't. You know, it, it's a high standard, um, especially since Jurgen Klopp took over as Liverpool manager. Um, but while I've got you, Rick, I'm going to press you for a potential score for Cardiff. Um, I mean, if we don't come away with a win then I'd be asking serious questions about the the uh the mentality of the players and the you know how seriously we're taking things. Uh, I I wanna say two one is, is my sort of score prediction. Um maybe two nil. I, I don't think it'll be an absolute walkover because I think there'll be that element of all right, we've got over the uh, we've got past 
the point where we're going to get a win. Let's just take the foot off the pedal. You know, maybe uh, give Diaz 30 minutes at the end or, you know, take Harvey off and, you know, put someone else. That's sort of like, you know, it, it, it's a little bit more fluid than your average Premier League game. So, yeah, I, I, would, I would say like, you know, 2-1, two, 2-0 two, two is about the sort of sweet spot. It's a tight one, but, you know, I think we're coming off the winter break. So I think it's, it's, it's a fair, fair claim. Uh, Pete, are you going to go for anything uh, slightly bolder, or have you have a similar mindset to Rick? Yeah, I think we're going to go quite strong on it because I think this is probably the last opportunity to actually rotate the squad fully. Because if we get knocked out in this one, you know he's not going to put them in for a Premier League game or a Champions League game. So I reckon it's going to be a few kids, but I think he'll want to be able to give them a few more opportunities this season, and he'll play quite a strong side. So I reckon we'll we'll do quite well and. Hopefully, have to see a few of the good, the big lads coming off the bench if needed, or just get the clap. So I'll go. I'll say three nil. I think a bit more confident. I think we can we can shut them out, and I think we'll have a steady defence. And yeah, the the remit for them all will be is you know make sure we get through this game, so you all get another game to play. Because otherwise, this could be most of your seasons over. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Steve, I saw a wry smile there. I, th- I feel like you can only go big or go small. <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was, I'm determined that it's going to be a clean sheet for one. Um, I think the approach that Pete said is is correct. I think we'll take this very, very seriously, and it'll be a it'll be a strong side, a strong defensive unit at the very least, with a bit of attack and flair, a bit of youth up front, because uh, you know we've, we've got a lot of gems up there. Um, so yeah, I was going to say three nil, um, but I'm, I'll I'll have to go a little bit bolder because uh, I was going to suggest that it might sit at around two nil. Uh, and then Cardiff will just end up throwing it at the wall and we might just get one on the counter. I'm now going to say that we're going to get two on the counter <laughs> and I'm going to say 4-0. Oof. That's what we like. Well done. <laughs> Christ. But I want to say three, but I've said four. <laughs> just just pick two like Rick does. Pick whatever you want. I'll, I'll have one, two, three and four. Oh, nice. I'll go for a 4-1. I'll, I'll give Cardiff something out of the tie. <laughs> you, know? You, know, you never know. It's been a long break. Anything could happen. Uh, well, you've heard our thoughts there today from Empire the Cop Inside, Empire the Cop Inside, of course, the Red Nets podcast. Uh, it's been Steve Carson, Peter Kenny Jones, Rick Elliott, and myself, Farrell Keeling. We'll be hoping for a big opening victory back from the winter break against Cardiff City before we face Leicester City in the Premier League. We hope you've enjoyed the latest instalment. Take care and goodbye. <laughs>